mantra that I would say to myself for years was, I breathe success, I inhale opportunities, and I exhale results. What that meant to me was, when I say that I breathe success, I wanted success, that my idea of success, to be as natural as breathing. When I say I inhale opportunities, you know, opportunities are everywhere. I want to get myself in the mindset of understanding that. I don't want to, you know, step outside of my door with a negative mindset. Oh, my tire's flat. I'm low on gas. I'm about to be late to work. I want to step outside and I want to see every opportunity that I can possibly see. So I want to inhale it all. I want all, want all those opportunities outside to be available and, and ready for me. And, but obviously, you know, an opportunity is only as good as what you do with it. So I want to exhale results. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host. Dr. Kim Keyes. Well, first of all, thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener. We certainly appreciate it. If you like what we're doing, just please pass it on, subscribe, leave a positive review in whatever format that you are contributing or consuming this content on. Now, a couple of things before we get into our guest today, who I just finished interviewing, Dr. Dove Evans. Now, Dr. Evans really has done a lot of work around two areas. His doctorate degree is really in leadership, but we're talking about, he says the word breathe. All of us are going so hard, so fast that we don't take a moment to just breathe, just to be in the moment, be mindful, and that there are opportunities all around us and that a lot of people are framing events in life so negative that it freezes them, they can't go forward. The other one is this whole concept of a, a mindset of being a boss, meaning are you responsible, taking responsibility for your whole mindset and that you own your space? Even if you're an employee for somebody, having a boss mindset means that you're going to take initiative, that you are going to be driving things, making decisions in owning your space rather than, quote unquote, being a victim. So really had a delightful conversation with Dr. Evans, and hopefully you enjoy us or join us on the other side of that. And just a, a note, CRG sponsors this event, sponsors the podcast. Just want to encourage that for today's show, two things. We have a brand new e-course on the what do you really value on our values preference indicator. It's one of the most transformational workshops that I ever have conducted. And every, doesn't matter where I go in the world, people just at the end of it said, wow, I didn't realize something so simple could be so powerful. And so you can go online with the link around the e-courses for the value preference indicator. And number two is if you're a professional developer or leader and you want to take yourself to the next level and you want to do the ultimate, you want, you want to participate in an event that will transform you, then I cannot say enough about the professional mastery and assessment certification workshop. It's three days, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, we hold it on a regular basis. Just go and look at the professional, we call it PMAC, Professional Mastery and Assessment Certification. And I just had an individual in our last session who said, you know, this is the best program I have ever attended in my lifetime. And he was 65 and also is a psychologist. And so when you have those kinds of comments, you say, whoa, it's humbling, but also is the responsibility about after 30 years or in the company been around for 40 years, just a transformation that is possible through the tools and resources that we offer. So thank you again for listening. Here's our show with Dr. Don Evans. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. 
I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, when was the last time that you just took a moment to breathe? You know, just to reflect, to be in the moment. Well, you don't have to think about it anymore because today's guest is going to be talking about his new book, Don't Forget to Breathe. So welcome to Secrets of Success, Dr. Dove Evans. Dove, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Ken. Well, you're welcome. And so we'll get into the details of that. And one of the things we do on Secrets of Success is that people just appreciate story and journey and where thou has cometh from, if I may. And so a little bit of your story, uh, Dr. Evans, about, you know, where did this all start for you? Where were you born and just sort of a bit of your growing up? Right. So I was born originally, I'm originally from New York. But we moved to North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, when I was about nine or ten. So I've been in you know, North Carolina for the vast majority of my life. Um, now, what was and, the main? Uh, I'm going to interrupt you a little bit just yeah. to make sure your points. What was the main reason for the move from New York down south? Yep. So, so my mother, she was, uh, she's from New York and grew up there all her life, and she was just looking to make a change. And she said she opened up like a travel book and looked at. They gave, you know, some top cities to live in or something along those lines. And there was, I want to say it was either Austin, Texas or somewhere in Texas and then like Raleigh, North Carolina. So she just chose Raleigh, North Carolina and man, never looked back from there. It's one of some place a little bit different and something that wasn't, um, I guess, as urban as where we were. We were right there in the city, New York, New York. So, well, do you remember any of that when you were in, you know, before you left at nine? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I feel like I have a pretty good memory, but not only that, when we first moved down here, I felt like we went, we would travel back up because we still had relatives there. We would travel back up there. It felt like at least once every other month. So, so I have, you know, really great memories there. And it almost felt like we didn't leave for the first few years. And then, and uh, like I, I was just there to, you know, uh, giving a talk uh, a few weeks ago. And I stayed with my aunt who lives in the same apartment we used to live in when I was, you know, when I was a kid. So, so yeah, so, so it doesn't, you know, so it's always like a second home almost. Oh, sweet. Now you mentioned your mom, but I didn't hear you talk about your dad. Right. So, uh, so my father, my mother left my father when I was, I want to say six, five or six. And, um, and I didn't see him too much after that. And then my mother didn't remarry till I was about 16. So mm. I've known my stepfather for quite some time. Now, you know, we'll get into this. I always, we're always curious about a people's, you know, just the impact of those kinds of traumatic events or events, mm-hmm. period. Uh, just maybe share a little bit. I mean, you're six at that time, and then, you know, right. nine. What do you recall? How did that affect you? You know what? I, I, don't, uh, I don't know if it affected me, um, if it had an adverse effect that was at least noticeable. Because I remember just as of recently, I would actually ask, um, you know, my relatives, um, you know, my parents and, and other older relatives, you know, how did I act during that time? How did I respond to that? And, you know, they said overall, you know, I, I, you know, there was no dramatic change in my mood or, you know, in the way I acted or anything of, of that nature. Um, the, the only thing I remember from that time was when, when my mother left my father, we were living in Buffalo, New York. That's where they went to school, to college. And then she moved back in with her mother in, in the city um, in Manhattan. And um, I remember my aunt, she worked in social work, and she bought me a, a book called Dinosaur Divorce. And I remember that was that, – that, that's the only – um, real touch point that I had that really helped me kind of understand what was even going on that, you know, mm-hmm. really sticks out to this day. And I just remember kind of reading the book a little bit and, you know, looking at the pictures and, and, and I, I like to think, you know, whether this is true or not, I like to think maybe understanding the idea of what was going on through that book made it seem like it wasn't such a bad thing. Things can potentially 
you know, still be stable, you know, your parents still love you, you know, so on and so forth. But, uh, but overall, I feel like I, I guess came out of it okay. And, you know, having a great family um, to be able to talk through things, I think, was really helpful as well throughout the years. If I may ask, what was sort of the main reason for the separation? Um, I think it was just, aside from probably getting married too young, just, um, you know, just, just differences, um, you know, just main differences. To my knowledge, it wasn't anything super traumatic. But one thing that did stick out was, um, you know, there was that intention for um, the, you know, both parents to still have, you know, a, a stable connection so you can have a cohesive front for the kids. And I can imagine how challenging that is, especially um, since we were in, you know, different states. So, so I think that was um, a huge, huge, huge challenge for both parties. But overall, I think everything kind of worked out for the best, at least, you know, at least in my opinion. Mm. Now, do you have siblings? I do have one younger sister. Okay. And mm-hmm. how old is she? Like, as far as the age difference? She's three years younger than me. Okay. So when you mm-hmm. moved at nine, she was six. Well, there you go. Right. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we're down in uh, North Carolina. Yes. Uh, what was that change like for you at nine to kind of lose your friends and move into that situation there? Right. So I remember, I remember coming to North Carolina, just some small cultural differences. One thing I remember is I remember seeing kids out, you know, playing out in the streets and they didn't have shoes on. And that was something I, at least I didn't see in New York. That, that was different. People noticed my accent right away, which I'm sure I don't have anymore. But then they noticed my accent and it was sounded a little different. And, but I felt like, you know, overall people, you know, the kids were friendly. So I remember making friends fairly fast. I had a short summer because I don't, I'm sure it's still the same now, but you know, then um, school would start back up in September. So we moved during the summer break and it starts here in North Carolina. It starts in August. So when I got here, it was probably, it was a little after my birthday in June. So we had to go back in a couple months and I was used to not going back till September. So I remember having that shorter summer. I'm like, Oh man, that, that went by kind of fast. Well, yeah. That kind of sucked. And, yeah, but, uh, but, but aside from that, though, I remember being a nice transition. But the biggest thing we, my sister and I really enjoyed was being able to go outside by ourselves. So I remember we were, in the, we were sitting in our apartment. My mother says, we can go outside. And we're looking at her like, so you coming with us? She's like, no, just go out and go play. And we're like, what? We, you know, we weren't able to do that in New York. So we love that, that freedom of just kind of going out, playing, and you know, just having, as long as you come in at a certain time, you were fine. So that was, that, that was a little bit of freedom that we were not used to. Mm. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. So now you're growing up. What were high school years like? High school was great. Um, I, I changed. I went to one high school my freshman year, and then went to another high school um, for the last, uh, you know, for the remainder of the my three years there in high school. So that was interesting because the high school I went to as a freshman was the high school that most of the kids from elementary school, which is what I moved here, fourth grade, went to in middle school as well. So I knew I've known those kids, you know, forever. So then having to go to this new high school where, you know, just about everybody was new was a little different. But I also looked at it as kind of a fresh start, which is how I looked at it when I went to college, too. So when I went to this new high school, I, I was able to kind of just kind of start all over again. No one knew me. Um, and uh, so what, what I thought was going to be a drag turned out to be a positive. I turned into a positive thing and just kind of um, I kind of rebranded myself, if you will. That's probably my first that's probably mm. my first attempt at rebranding myself. So you know, so overall it was good. You know, when you think about it, and a lot of the work that you do in leadership and change, and we'll get into that in a little bit, is a lot of people have to go through change. What do you think, even at your young age, 
was the mindset that was enabling you to reframe things into a positive versus I'm leaving all my friends, I've known them for years, why do you make me move, why do you change, you know the different perspectives. Right, so what, right. what could you say to the audience, to the Secrets of Success audience, about what was the mindset that allowed you to sort of reframe this into a positive versus where many people might see it as a negative? Right. So um, I guess this kind of goes back to that book that you that you mentioned, which was um, even then understanding that opportunities are everywhere. Opportunities are everywhere. And it's, and it's my understanding and my belief that some of the most successful people understand that. Um, it's not that they're always you know the most fortunate um, or they're always the smartest or the most talented. It's just, you know, there's opportunities floating around everywhere. And there's individuals who know how to, you know, maintain a certain mindset that allows them to see those opportunities. So you can have two people looking at the same exact situation, but if one person has a closed off mindset, you know, they're not looking for any opportunities, all they're seeing is the negative, all they're seeing is the challenges and the hurdles, then they're likely to see either less opportunities or no opportunities versus mm. someone who is a lot more open and they're, they're actively looking for those opportunities. Like, okay, I know this isn't my favorite situation. I know the challenges and the hurdles, but what can I get out of this? They're asking different questions. What can I get out of this? How can I spin this into a positive? Um, you know, how can I make this work into my favor? How can I allow this situation not to, to deter me from whatever my goals were? Um, th then you're bound to see some things that the other person is not going to see. So, um, I, I don't want to give myself too much credit and act like I did that on purpose when I was younger, but I certainly saw some opportunities maybe as they kind of unfolded in front of me, and, uh, and then I simply just acted on them. Um, and, and again, it allowed me to be a little bit more resilient um, than, uh, than maybe the, the average person in that situation. But, um, but like anybody else, you, know, you still had your challenges and things of that nature. But, but as you get older, you definitely learn that you know, there's two sides to every coin. And uh, if you keep both eyes open, you'll, you'll certainly see um, a more full-body perspective. Gives you more now, not everybody, you know, they call it in re, you know, resilience training the growth mindset, right? Mm -hmm. So right. not everybody has the growth mindset. So what do you think was, you know, not to belabor or beat a dead horse, but what do you mm -hmm. think in your background or even what your mom was doing with you was creating this growth mindset with you as a young teenager? Uh, well, if I had to take a stab at it, I really think it is um, when you're in uh, the when you're in a household, um, you know, with a single mother, um, and you know, you can imagine some of the challenges that um, you know that you may have a firsthand account um, that you're kind of witnessing on a regular basis. You know, every day uh, you're watching someone having to make all the decisions that typically two people can make, and you can bounce ideas off each other. They have to make mm -hmm. them on their own. And they definitely have to be a lot more resilient and put up a more positive front on their own when things aren't always going their way. So I think when you when you see that, even if you don't know that's what you're looking at, you know, you may not understand the full scope. I know I didn't understand the full scope of all the challenges mm -hmm. um, that my mother faced. Um, but, but you still understand that, you know, regardless, you know, there's situations that go on. And for some reason, they still have a positive attitude and they're still able to use their creativity to make something work. Mm -hmm. And in the end, the family is better for it. Excellent. I think, well, I think one that. of the points you're making, um, Dr. Evans, is that, you know, as parents, even if kids don't even really, really know what's going on, mm -hmm. what we do and what we don't do, those behaviors are constantly leaving some kind of impact. Absolutely. Uh, even if it's subliminal of some sort in, or subconscious. So, right. I mean, that's a really good point for all of us that we really need to take responsibility for 
I'll call it the impressions that we're leaving. And it doesn't matter who it is. It could be somebody at work and that's some of the work that you do now around leadership. So that being said, so you've, you've moved into this new high school and you said you went to college. So right. what did you take in college and how did you come to that decision as far as what you were going to take when you first left? Um, yep. So that was a roundabout uh, decision as well. So when, when I finished high school, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. So um, I actually went to community college for a year, which I loved. And again, more so academic, looking back, I'm glad I went that route. But um, by the time I went to uh, community college for a year, because I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. Um, and in doing so, that was the greatest experience. Um, and the reason why, because for me, that was a great foray into what college and, and quote unquote, the real world how I was going to tackle the real world, if you will. So while I was in uh, community college, I found out that I had a talent for um, speaking and training. I found that out in my English um, 102 course. I had an uh, instructor by the name of Eunice Hargett, and uh, we had to do like a mock trial, and, um, and it was recorded. I still have it on VHS somewhere around, as a matter of fact. And, um, and you still I found have a VHS out, recorder? I do. No, no, well, I, I have the tape. No, no, I just have the tape. I don't, I don't, have, a, yeah, I don't have a VCR, just the tape. <laughs> I need to get it converted uh, digitally for a time. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I, I remember doing that. I remember giving me some great feedback. Say, you know, you have a real talent, you know, for, um, you know, for speaking. You know, you should really thinking about, you should really think about that. And um, I heard that for years and never really gave it a second thought to years later. But again, so, so I really picked up on some things like I'm really good at this. I'm not so good at that. And then after school, you know, although I, I performed pretty well, I still took some time off. I took a semester off and worked full time at a music store back when those existed. And for the first time in my life, and I mean literally the first time in my life, um, I was like a supervisor working with college students. They would come in, my coworkers would do my, come in and do their homework. And for the first time in my life, I missed having homework. I was like, man, I, I wish I was in school. I wish I had a paper to write and I wish I had some homework to do. So I went back to school for one more semester and then transferred to a four-year college, you know, University of North Carolina at Greensboro, where I majored in history because at the time I thought I wanted to be an attorney. And uh, attorneys that I spoke to in the past told me the best way to prepare for law school is major in something you like, but also if it has a lot of, uh, if it has an emphasis on writing, and researching, then that'll be a bonus. And I, you know, I was like, well, that's what you do in history. You do a lot of reading and do a lot of research. So, um, and I like it. So, you know, I thought that was great. And, you, well, and I although I, I can't say I thought that going through history was the window to getting your law degree, but it makes sense now that you explain it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and, and, and for me, again, I'm glad I went that route, even though I didn't, you know, go on to pursue a law degree specifically. I'm glad I majored in history um, because, you know, looking back, um, I think it made my college years all that more enjoyable with the fact that I was mm -hmm. able to study, you know, a lot of courses that I was very interested in and gave me a new perspective on the world and, you know, the the, the country that we live in just by studying it. And, uh, and yeah, like I said, college was really, and I, I took college seriously as well because I already had my fun years and things of that nature while I was in community college. By the time I got to a four-year college, I didn't go to clubs or parties or anything like that. Not to, not to say that anybody that does should, you know, should stop, but I just... I, I just, it, it was, it was more of like a, a serious endeavor for me. I didn't go there to have fun or to get away from the parents necessarily. Like I was going there to get this degree because I was mm -hmm. that hungry for it. that time off really made me hungry for it. So I didn't go to any parties. I hung out with my friends every now and then, of course, I had some good buddies um, who would, uh, we would have a GPA competition. We would see who got the highest GPA and then whoever got the highest GPA, put some, we put some money in the pot and you know, they, they got the money. So, um, so, you know, I, so I was on a mission and, and I'm glad I had the friends that I did because they, uh, they really helped me. Um, well, let's put it this way. I, I went to college and also did my MBA as well as you doing yours. Now, mm -hmm. I re that was as, as an adult. I enjoyed doing that. But I can't right. say that I've met too many students like you 
where you <laughs> actually put stuff in the pot for the highest GPA. Yes. yes mo- most people who are in college right now say you're sick. So I, I, I say, so that's good. That's fine. So obviously studying in just that whole area where you say, listen, I'm missing writing a paper is something that just comes naturally to you that you enjoy. I would say that many people that would not necessarily be true. So you saw that fairly quickly. So you finished right. university or college. Then what mm-hmm. did you do? So then after that, why, uh, when I got out of college, you know, obviously it's time to work. Um, and just like a lot of people, when, you know, you, you first, you know, get your degree, you know, you probably have all these lofty ideas of things you want to do, but you know, some of the jobs that are available to you, one of them is sales. Um, and I never saw myself as a salesperson. So I got into sales. I started off at uh, singular wireless, you know, back when AT&T was singular years ago. And I started doing that. And that's when I found out I had a knack for training. I, um, I, I became a, a supervisor and I, I wouldn't say I had a knack for selling or even being a manager, but when it came, when it came to training individuals, my new employees, I really had a knack for showing people, you know, step-by-step how to be successful and how to bring out their talents. I found that I really not only did I have a knack for it, I really enjoyed it. And I never forget the interview that I had for that job. It was a fairly easy interview, but at the end, uh, the, the owner of the store asked me to sell him something. He told me to sell him his umbrella. So he just gave it to me and said, he said sell it to me. And um, that's when I found I had a, a gift for extemporaneous um, speaking. So I, uh, I sold him the umbrella. Don't ask me what I said. I, but whatever I said, I must impress them because, you know, I shot right up to the top. And like I said, I showed other people how to be able to think on their feet if you know your product that well, um, if you're confident in yourself. Um, and again, you're able to read a person. Um, you know, fairly fast, then you can certainly formulate, you know, what it is that you need to say to, in this particular case, sell them something. So let's so, just yeah. stop there and just take a breath, pardon the pun, yeah. for a moment and say, okay, <laughs> right. what, uh, well, of course, well, it's a play on words for those that are listening that maybe you yeah. just tuned in and said, okay, don't forget to breathe is your book. So we'll get to right. that here in just a moment. Mm-hmm. Is, what are some of the skills? You, you mentioned a couple of them. But those, those individuals who are listening right now, what are some of the skills that really contributed to you shooting to the top? Now, not to any job, but just in this situation, when you think about selling something, a lot of people don't really like this idea of selling, or, but the reality is that influence is very, very critical and important in life. So what right. were some of the skills that known or unknown to you that contributed to the success? that right. the so, audience members can consider as something for their own development. Yeah, uh, I, I would definitely say one of them is certainly playing to your own strength um, and not necessarily worrying about your weaknesses. This is something that um, I heard echoed you know, uh, years later um, you know, by my mentor. But, but even then I knew when I was in sales, again, I, I was not, again, I would never say that I'm the greatest salesman in the world, but I, but I, was, um, I, I had some strengths that I definitely played upon. A couple of them, for example, um, was, again, just kind of, you know, speaking off the cuff. You know, I was always pretty good at that. So that's something that I definitely used to my advantage when I was speaking one-on-one uh, with, you know, with customers. And the other thing is, you know, I loved electronics. So I would, I'd be the guy who'd go into websites um, and just look up, you know, little tidbits and facts about electronics that most people didn't know. Most of my coworkers didn't know this. My manager didn't know these things. Um, and obviously most consumers didn't know them. So I was able to speak about, in this case, cell phones and the service um, that they'd be using uh, with a little bit more eloquence than the average person because I didn't mind looking up these little tidbits. It was fun to me. Um, so, so I, you know, that, that's what I would do. Now, other people, they would have a different approach. You know, they'd be a little bit more aggressive, um, or maybe they had a real effervescent personality. You know, I didn't have all that. I just, I didn't naturally have that. You know, but so for me, 
again, I was able to speak off the cuff really well. Um, and like I said, you know, I, I knew a lot about my product because I love looking that stuff up. Um, and then the other thing I would love to do as well is I'm, I'm a thinker. So I love troubleshooting. So most people would come in and they don't even want to buy anything. They just want their phone fixed. And I love troubleshooting. So I would look up how to fix stuff. Even, you know, the customer's long gone and I'm looking up online, how do you fix it? How would I go about retrieving, you know, contacts when the phone's been wet or damaged? You know, I'd look these little things up. So the next time a customer comes in, I knew how to solve that problem. And because I solved the problem, they were more amenable to, you know, uh, listening to me, you know, potentially sell them a phone or a service, so on and so forth. So well, I didn't worry about trying you're to doing. Sorry to interrupt. One of the things you're doing, mm -hmm. you're adding value to the conversation versus Absolutely. just trying to sell something. And the other one is, is that you were establishing competence within a certain area of your industry or segment. You know, right. a lot of times when we go and deal with people, you wonder, you know, do you know anything? I mean, a lot of times right. the client knows more than the person that's trying to sell. So you were really setting yourself apart to be an expert, be competent, but also then to do some problem solving, which is an expertise that really only the top percentage of the population demonstrate on a regular basis. So right. that's, I mean, that's a great process as well. So let's move out of selling phones. Where did you go from there? So after that, you know, I went, to, I went to another carrier uh, where I did, you know, virtually the same thing, but I wanted to get out of that. I wanted to get into higher education, and I got my first opportunity in that when I started working with University of Phoenix as an academic counselor, and that's where things really started to take off. There was a myriad of opportunities that I took advantage of while I was there for almost seven years. So um, mm. I started and not only did academic, you an academic advisor or counselor, uh, but you mm. also ended up doing your MBA through them. Right. I did my MBA while I was there. That's one of the first things um, that really attracted me um, to that opportunity. When I was talking on the phone, they said, hey, if you work here, um, you, know, you have the opportunity to you know, uh, potentially get your degree if you'd like as well. At the campus, I wasn't interested in online. It was still fairly new, at least to me. So I was like, well, you know, can you do it you know, at the campus? Like, yeah, we have a night program. You can do that. So that's what I, I enrolled like ASAP after I started that job. And, um, and that opportunity, again, opened up uh, a myriad of doors. Again, not only did I I had the opportunity to work in higher education, but also, like you said, I got my MBA while I was there. While getting my MBAs, where I met um, my mentor, my very first MBA class, who, you know, told me about the existence of a career of being a speaker and trainer. He's the one who put that planted that seed into my head. Why I do what I do today. So and uh, so I did that, and then that's when I got into corporate training and got to actually practice what I'd be doing today. I also got to teach college level courses as well. So a lot of what I do today. Um, you know, University of Phoenix was that testing ground for those skills, training, teaching, the idea of a, a career in doing this on your own. All of that came from that that one opportunity. So, and that was the first time I actually found out that. Um, thank you. That's the first time that I found out that when you when I speak, opportunities, you know, doors open, opportunities um, actually, you know, tend to open up for me. So that's the first time I noticed it. And then when I look back, I was like, that was always happening, and I didn't notice it until, you know, I started working at. University of Phoenix. So a lot happened to me while I was there. Mm. Well, congratulations on that. Now, in this whole mix, because we want to jump into your book, because we sure. you know, only have about 15 minutes left in the show, and we just want to make mm -hmm. sure that we get into that content. But somewhere prior to writing this book of yours, you completed your PhD. Where did that motivation come, and where did you do it? Right. So, so as you can imagine, um, working at a, uh, you know, higher education, I had the opportunity to work with, alongside a lot of faculty members, um, and a lot of them were either working on their doctorate degree or already had their doctorate degree. And again, I was at the time I was looking at 
um, a career in higher education. So I completed uh, my degree at Capella University, and I did it in uh, leadership in higher education. That's where a lot of my colleagues went as well. They recommended it. And I had a good friend of mine, um, Dr. Larry Woods, who, you know, we, you know, essentially almost started our degree program together. So we went to a lot of, you know, colloquial together that we had to travel to. And again, it was another uh, extremely positive experience that opened up a lot of doors. And uh, for anybody who's currently in a PhD program or maybe even thinking about pursuing a PhD, it's not for everybody, but um, but after weighing up the factors, if it's something that you ultimately choose to do, again, it can be extremely beneficial, but it's only beneficial depending on the resourcefulness of the individual. It's not like an automatic cheat code, if you will, uh, to life. You know, if, if you're a type of person who's creative and hungry, and, you know, really knows, again, you have that mindset of, you know, looking for opportunities. That's something that you can have in your back pocket that can potentially open some open some doors, but it's not automatic. So, mm-hmm. well, uh, being a fellow uh, <laughs> person who's done this, yeah, it right. takes some effort, though. Absolutely. What's happened now in education and, of course, you were with Phoenix and everybody is listening. I, yep. I love Phoenix. And in fact, I, I quote Phoenix is one of the first organizations globally to understand the blended learning module or, or mm-hmm. model in how inappropriate or what's the word ineffective many of the traditional sort of educational models are and right. so you know as an adult learner and when I did my PhD it was project based is that you know I don't I don't need to kind of go and take all these required courses <laughs> I just want to work right. on what I want to work on and somebody said right. well no that's not a real that's not a real degree well who says <laughs> so, right. I mean, all of these come into play, and that's where, you know, Phoenix took a lot of criticism. When I did my MBA, it was an executive MBA as well. And these mm-hmm. were just coming into vogue where, you know, what would it mean if uh, we were with other professionals and adults that had full-time jobs while you did it? So good right. on you to set that up. Now, with that, you know, well, now we're going to take a breath, pardon the pun, and <laughs> you've done all of this work. Uh, now you have this book. So let's just tell us the story about, you know, where the book Don't Forget to Breathe came from and, um, and then what are you trying to teach us in it? So the book where it came from was Don't Forget to Breathe was essentially almost a mantra that I would say to myself for years. Um, I would say, you know, I breathe success, I inhale opportunities, and I exhale results. So, so that's where the... Okay, the so say that goes. slower and sure. more succinctly for the listeners because they yep. could be driving right now. Yep. So I'll say it again. So again, the mantra that I would say to myself for years was, I breathe success, I inhale opportunities, and I exhale results. The, the reason why I said that, quote, the, you know, what, what that meant to me was, um, when I say that I breathe success, I wanted success, that my idea of success, to be as natural as breathing. So when I say I inhale opportunities, you know, somewhat to like what I said earlier, you know, opportunities are everywhere. And I want to set, I want to get myself in the mindset of understanding that. I don't want to, you know, step outside of my door with a negative mindset. Oh, my tire's flat. I'm low on gas. I'm about to be late to work. I want to step outside and I want to see every opportunity that I could possibly see. So I want to inhale it all. I want all, I want all those opportunities outside um, to be available and, and ready for me. And, but obviously, you know, an opportunity is only as good as what you do with it. So I want to exhale results. So when I take in all those opportunities, I want to, again, I want to get my mindset right to be able to do something with all these opportunities that are out here. I don't want to be lazy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit on an opportunity or, or squander a contact that I got. I want to do something with it. I want to exhale the results and, and, and make stuff happen. I want to produce. And that's what I would say to myself every day to see the opportunities and then do something with it. Don't sit on it. I think we've all been guilty of 
either A, again, having the wrong mindset to see the opportunity, and or once maybe you get the opportunity, you sit on it. You don't call that person back or you don't fill out that application or whatever it is you need to do to move on an opportunity. You let laziness get the best of you. So that's what I didn't want to do. And that's why I ultimately wrote the book. And that's kind of what the book is telling the reader, as well as redefining the idea of what success is. And I think we've all, some of us may have heard this idea of, you know, success is not necessarily, uh, you know, what you end up attaining in the end or, you know, getting money or position and things of that nature. It's more so the, the lessons that you learn um, in the journey. Because I've known. Wait, so, what is your definition life, of success then? Is it just the lessons, or what? Absolutely, is it absolutely. It's, it's taking a. It's, it's what they call. So, some people say taking an L. You know, they'll, they'll use that for something. It's taking a loss. But I'll say I'll take an L because you know I'll take that lesson. Um, because regardless of whether you got what you want in the end, um, to me, success is the lessons that you learned in that journey. That you know that is what the success is because that can be uh, you know the lesson that you got is is worth its weight in gold because not only like think about what you can do with the lesson regardless of whether you reach that goal or not if I try to pursue a degree and I didn't get the degree let's say how many lessons have you learned along the way um, of trying to pursue that degree now what can we do with those lessons I can write a book about it I can speak about it. I can talk to my kids about these lessons. I can talk to other individuals about these lessons. I can do, again, and it's only limited by my imagination. Mm-hmm. I can do multiple things with these lessons with no degree. There's people that literally do that. There's guys, there's a couple of folks that have businesses set up around the idea of not necessarily jumping from high school and getting a diploma. They set up a whole, they set up companies on helping you know, high school kids to explore opportunities without getting a degree. Maybe you go get a, you know, get a trade or get a certificate. So, and a lot of them pursued a degree, did not get the degree, but they got lessons from it, and now it's profitable because they have a business around that. So people have to understand that the journey isn't always about getting what you want. It's about those lessons that you learn along the way. Because whether you get what you want, it's iffy. You may or may not, but you're going to learn a lesson. There's, there's definitely going to be a lesson there. Um, it's just a matter of did you see it? And then, again, if you want to do something with it, you can do something with it, and you might even make money off of it if you're really creative. But most people don't see it that way. It's very linear. It's either I got it or I didn't. So, black and white. so if we think about the audience, and, and here's the reality. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who don't see it that same way right. as you're teaching. What's, mm-hmm. what's been getting in their way? What, it, what is it that they're doing that they need to stop doing or they need to start doing so that they can start – seeing and experiencing more opportunities in their life. Right. Well, you know, one thing um, that I think most people in education learn, especially when you get a doctorate degree, is you learn how to get to the source, you know, of things. Like, well, where did this idea of success come from? So everybody would need to stop and let's, let's critically think, let's think about our thoughts. Where did this idea of success come from? Um, more than likely, it either came from maybe a family member, you know, who talked to maybe your parents, grandparents, and or, it was uh, it was definitely shaped by like the media. You know, you see a successful person in a magazine or on TV or the movie, so on and so forth. You see what success looks like. Oh, I see what it looks like. Okay, they got a big house and they got a car or they got this job or you know whatever it is. You know, you, you get an idea of what it looks like. So now you have this very basic idea of what success looks like. They're not going to more than likely, depending on what you're watching or who's teaching you, they're not going to give you this complex idea of this more well-rounded and, and well-versed idea mm-hmm. of what it could be to be successful. It'll be very simplistic. So if you break down your idea first, where did this even come from? And is this what I want? Because that's the next important thing is, do you really want that? There's a lot of people who's, I want the house, I want the car, I want this. Why do you want that? I just, you know, because it'd be nice. You have to really ask yourself, do you even really want that? Is that really the goal? 
And then once they kind of break that down, they can kind of redefine success from a more holistic perspective. Now, this is what I would ask the individual who is, who's probably never questioned where their idea of success came from. Once you attain those things, right, whatever it is, you, you get the car, you get the house, the job, the title, then what? Now what are you going to do? And then I think by putting them in that position, and I just pushed you, in, in, I just pushed you past the finish line, but you're still alive, so you're still more living to do. And now by thinking, well, what am I going to do now, that's going to give you an idea of what's really important to you because now the obstacle and the hurdle of not getting things has been removed. You have those things. Now you have the money. You have all that. What are you going to do now? What's important to you? What, you, what are you going to do? And it's like, well, well, I'd really like to start a nonprofit. It sounds like that's pretty important. You want to start a nonprofit? So if you had everything you want, you'd really want to start a nonprofit, not go be a financial advisor, not go be an attorney. You, you, you really want to start that nonprofit, or you really want to stay home full-time and take care of your kids or something along those lines. Whatever it is, then we start to get to the truth, because now we removed all that other stuff that you thought was a goal out of the way. But I think that and the allure of, of not being able to have those things as well, man, I want that mansion because it's so hard to obtain, you know, and, and I think the idea of not being able to get it, being um, that those things being, at least in their minds, somewhat unattainable also kind of gives it this allure that's, oh, I got to get that because, you know, it's so hard to get it, so rare, and if I get that. But I think if you push people in that mind space and really make them critically think about where that idea of success came from, they'll find themselves in a very different place. But I, don't, I think most people don't question that. Most people don't push back on these ideas. So you find yourself trying to attain the same exact things everybody else wants to attain. So. Mm. Well, I think that's a good point that you make. And so let's just take a breath and, in, and delve into this a little bit as the okay. host and just maybe interpret what you've just said for the listeners in a way when we think about it, what you're forcing people to do is that if I get this goal, whatever X, Y, Z might be, what right. we believe is success for me in this life, and I get that, then what? In that, right. what do we do when we go beyond these things? It's the being versus the doing and the having that you're really trying to sort of unfold for those individuals. And that's a brilliant way, Dr. Evans, to get people to consider, okay, you have these four things on the list. You're getting the car. The debts are paid off, whatever. You're getting the house. You've got those. Now what? And right. it's interesting, listeners, you know, what Dr. Evans has said, for you, what are those goals that's now what? If you were to have those, if you were to achieve those, what would you do if you already achieved it? That's done. Now, now what? And I think that's a brilliant way to be able to set that up to think about it. Now, the other thing that you mentioned earlier, and you mentioned a couple of times just cursory, and that was, I'm not going to be lazy. So you were inserting this word lazy. Where was that coming from, and how do you communicate to the audience about that? So opportunities, again, um, you know, once you notice an opportunity, I think that the average person, uh, you, you, get, you get like a jolt of energy, you know, uh, to, to be able to act on it. But there's so many distractions, you know, for everybody, me, everybody, because uh, I've, I've certainly been there, um, that, that get in your way, and it's very easy to just not have the energy to take that next step because then that's when you realize there's more work involved. It's like, okay, I noticed the opportunity. Great. I got that new contact that I need. Great. Now I got to fill out that long application or now I got to actually write that book, whatever it is. And for me, I saw that this was a trend for people that, again, they, they, they know what they want and there's opportunity in front of them. Now I'm talking about the folks who've already noticed the opportunity now. Like they see it like, oh, I can just go do X, Y, and Z and I can get what I want. But executing was certainly in the way. So that's what actually is leading me to write, you know, my next book. Um, it's not necessarily like a sequel form, Don't Forget to Breathe, but it's certainly, it's certainly an idea that was, um, you know, 
born out of, you know, the, the research that I did for the first book, Don't Forget to Breathe, um, which is the idea of, you know, being a boss. And I think I, I, I try to, you know, distinguish between a boss and like a worker. And when you are a worker, it's very easy to become lazy in that move because most people who are quote unquote workers and you work for an organization, it's almost, it's very easy to become very dependent on an organization, almost like it's your parent. And organizations set it up this way because they have your job description already written out. And not all, but most organizations don't want you to step outside of that. I'm telling you what you need to do. You just do X, Y, Z. And for most people, they're more resilient. They're more creative. They want more autonomy, especially millennials. And they either go one or two ways. You know, you can either fall back into a worker mindset, if you will, which, you know, which comes off as lazy and not really creative and you get bored or you can try to break free almost like being a rebel, if you will, and kind of take a little bit more responsibility for what you do. And that's that boss mindset. And essentially a boss in the way I'm talking about it um, is an autonomous leader uh, that takes full control over his or her brand and worth in the marketplace. And when you do that, you essentially treat your job, even though you're working for an organization, you treat your job like it's your own business. And when you do so, you find yourself to be more forward thinking, more proactive. Um, so, again, so you're not lazy. You know, you're, you're, you're actually you know, taking the necessary steps to do what you need to do. And, you know, you're more resilient. You are more likely to seek out professional development opportunities because you want to better, quote, unquote, your business, if you will. And, and again, you're, you're more primed for leadership opportunities in the future. Mm. I know we've all seen, you and I were talking offline, I know we've all seen individuals who are shoved or pushed um, into a leadership position, but they are not necessarily ready for leadership. But if you're a boss, you're already ready because you were taking care of your business as if it was, again, you're taking care of your job as if it was your business. So you were already ready to go. You know, I don't need you to prime me for, you know, for leadership. I was already ready before you, before you pushed me there. So I'm ready to go. So, mm. uh, so, so that's kind of where my, my new book is going to be going. I'm, I'm excited about well, that. For sure. Well, of course, here at Secrets of Success, we agree with you 100% where, this whole idea of taking personal responsibility is mm-hmm. the opposite of playing the victim. And I suspect that you've run into these individuals as a speaker over the yes. years where they blame everybody else. Well, if you blame, you have given away your power, you've given away, quote unquote, your responsibility, but you've also given away this ability to see opportunities because it's right. always somebody else's fault. I mean, we remember Scott Peck's book, right? The road less traveled, where it, you know character oh, yes, yes, disorder, yes. which where it's everybody else's fault, and mm-hmm. we know that it, that is the most difficult condition to to treat, because that person is not taking responsibility for the condition. And guess what? Your right. condition is based on what you've done. If you start blaming everybody else, no matter what's going on, well, then you've now become a victim, and you have no influence over that. What do you say yeah. to? Now, we only have a couple of minutes left, but what would you say to, mm-hmm. the, to the people that have this victim mindset? So, well, you don't know the family I grew up in, and you don't know the environment I was part of, and you don't know this um, discrimination that I faced, and on and on it went. What would you say to those people, Dr. Evans? Yeah, so, so I would say, again, if we're going back to the theme of my first book in terms of breathing success, so if someone's 
uh, pointing at all these different factors and saying, you know, you know, these are some of the hurdles that other people can't understand. And you know, this is why I'm not where I want to be in life and so on and so forth. I would say, number one, more than likely there is somebody who can somewhat identify as, as rough as our situation is and as unique as, our, as we think our situation is. There's somebody on this earth that can more than likely identify. Not only that, I'm, I would also offer there's probably someone who's turned that tragedy or turned that hurdle um, um, into a success story. I, I saw a quote that said, um, some people probably heard this one before, where I turned my setback, um, oh no, I'm sorry, my setback is going to be a setup for my success. And for me, it's, it's again, taking that negative situation that you were in and, again, you know, using that as a stepping stone for your comeback. We've all heard comeback stories, and there's no reason why uh, that person's setback can't be like their little setup for their, you know, for their success mm-hmm. as well. But you have to see the opportunity, though, that closed mindset, like you said, giving away that power to say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm helpless. I can't do anything because of X, Y, Z closes your mind off automatically to look for any opportunities. You're not looking for anything now because in your mind, they don't exist. So, but if you're looking for it, you're bound to find something. If you're like, I know I can get something out of the situation. Mm. What is it? And, uh, and, and I would say, I, I just heard a, a story from a gentleman. I was doing a talk in New York and I heard a story from a gentleman talking about how he came from a rough neighborhood, things of that nature, where his, his daily struggle was making sure that you know, he's not um, held at gunpoint for his sneakers on a regular basis. So today he works with VCs out in California on a regular, on a regular basis. And, and um, he said it's no problem for him to go into a boardroom and you know, talk to you know, board full of investors or whoever, you know, very intimidating individuals to other people in business, but not to him because of where he came from, what he's used to. You know, that, that's, that's low-level stress for him. That's low-level stress for him. So he has no problem, um, you know, operating and starting businesses and, and taking those risks because he's already had to take huge risks when mm-hmm. he was younger, um, which is, as you can imagine, very traumatic. But he's using that trauma as, you know, for him, almost like as a testing ground to say, if I can survive that, I can certainly do this. This is nothing. So, um, so again, you know, use it, right? Use it as much as possible. It can be a source of strength if you want it to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I appreciate that story. Now, Dr. Dove Evans, how can people find out more about your work, your book, maybe booking you as a speaker? How can they get a hold of you? Yep, absolutely. So um, definitely go to my website. It's uh, the Gallus Collective. That's G-A-L-L-U-S Collective, the Gallus, uh, GallusCollective.com. And then, uh, of course, you can always follow me on Instagram. I'm always uh, posting videos about what I'm doing, things of that nature. Follow me at Gallus Collective on Instagram as well. And I also have a networking group for professionals in the area, in the Durham area, if they happen to be in town. I host once a month. Uh, it's called the Gallus Event. It's on Meetup. Um, it's on Eventbrite. It's on, there's a Facebook page for it. It's all over the place. You type in the Gallus Event, again, G-A-L-L-U-S Event. Um, you know, you'll certainly see that event as well. So you can definitely get in touch with me that way. Well, and what we'll do is we'll make sure all of these links are in our show notes, depending on what platform you're listening to. Mm-hmm. So Dev, uh, before we go, if you were to leave sort of an encouragement, a piece of wisdom for the Secrets of Success listeners that they can take action on as your final word, what would you say to the listeners to encourage them? Again, I, would, I guess I'd have to go quote my book. I would definitely say, hey, make sure every single day, as much as possible, look in the mirror and just quote and say, today I'm going to breathe success. I'm going to inhale opportunities and exhale results. And when I say inhale opportunities, I actually inhale. I take a deep breath in. And then when I say exhale results, I you know exhale. And that's my little short meditation, I guess, as well. Um, and just go out there with the right mindset before you tackle whatever it is you're going to tackle. Mm. 
Well, Dr. Evans, thank you very much for hanging out with us today here on Secrets of Success. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ken, for having me. I enjoyed it. Well, stay with us, Dove. So, Secrets of Success listeners, you know, my encouragement is, and you think about Dove's story, and he went through a lot, and he had a separation when he first started as far as his mom leaving his dad, but he didn't use that as an excuse, changed high schools, moved through school, took some training that eventually he didn't directly use history, but he used it as a lesson. And so what is it in your life that you have done and you have taken that's really a lesson that you can bring to the table? Don't be using excuses. Take that moment and breathe. Everybody talks about mindfulness now. Can you just take a moment and say, you know what, every single person on this planet matters. Every single person has something to contribute. So what is it for you? Don't be using the victim mindset. Thank you as always for listening to The Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, please leave a review pass it on, share it, subscribe in whatever platform you are participating on. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keats. Thanks for exploring The Secrets of Success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.